People-first companies understand that employees are their most valuable asset. These forward-thinking companies treat all of their people practices, especially hiring, as strategic rather than administrative functions. I'm Donald Knight, Chief People Officer at Greenhouse, and this is People First, a podcast celebrating the work of leaders dedicated to building people-first cultures. Today, I'm joined by two champions of people-first leadership, Brian Baker, Chief People Officer at Taneo, and Stephanie Kramer, Chief Human Resource Officer at L'Oreal USA. In this episode, we'll discuss how a combination of inclusion, diversity, and intention helps drive business success. We'll also talk about the importance of developing good leaders, not just good products, and why leaders should actively seek feedback from their teammates. All right, I am super duper excited today. I get to talk to two amazing leaders in different industries, which is super, super exciting. And rather than introduce such legends in the space, I would much rather you introduce yourself, tell me your name, tell me where you work, tell me what excites you about your role, And then last but certainly not least, you got to tell me what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? So we'll start with this amazing young lady in front of me. Thank you, Donald. Hello, my name is Stephanie Kramer. I have the pronouns she, her, hers. I am the Chief Human Resources Officer of L'Oreal USA, the proud mother of two young sons, and the author of a new book, Carrie Strong, An Empowered Approach to Navigating Pregnancy and Work. And Donald, you and I have talked about this before, but I'm actually a cupcake girl, not the ice cream fan. But if I have to pick a flavor, I'm, I'm a mint chocolate chip girl. There we go. <laughs> Cupcakes and ice cream go together. And... Uh... This amazing strapping young man next to you, who do we have? Hey, Donald, Brian Baker here. I am the chief people officer of Taneo. I go by the pronouns he, him, his. And Taneo is an advisory firm that's focused on CEO advisory and the C-suite agenda. So helping organizations and governments really navigate a number of opportunities and risks in the business and, and government landscape. As I do sort of all things, I take a conventional answer and I give it a twist. So I'm a major fan of strawberry ice cream. Has to be real strawberries, has to be a lot of them. And what what I love about that is it's actually a secret that if you put chocolate sprinkles on it, it gives it an entirely different sort of composition, if you will. So it's a it's a tip you heard here first. And if you went to college in Boston like I did you call them jimmies. So strawberry ice cream with the jimmies on top. I had not heard this. I'm going to be definitely using this moving forward because I am quite the ice cream enthusiast. Right now, my favorite flavor is Jenny's, is the name of the company. So shout outs to Jenny out of Ohio. One day she will give me an endorsement deal. But right now it's just completely free marketing. And she just came out with apple cinnamon pop tart which when I was growing up as a military brat, we lived in so many different countries and eating a Pop-Tart that was apple cinnamon toasted just reminded me of like all of the great things about childhood. So shout outs to Jenny for coming out with such an amazing flavor. Look, I'm, I'm elated to have you both here for a number of reasons. We've been able to build some amazing proximity through the pandemic. So I'm super excited about that. But more importantly, it's like, 
When you hear this word people first, right? This is something that so many people are starting to use now. Companies are using it in their advertising. We're seeing people put this in their commercials, Stephanie. Like we've seen people talk about being people-centric and putting people first. But I recognize leaders have different definitions of what that actually means. So Brian, I'm gonna start with you. Like when you hear the words leading people first, what does that mean to you? Yeah, you know, I would probably say it means the same things to me that it means to a lot of other people, like empathy and experience-led and those kinds of things. But where I think we have this opportunity to go further is I, I really believe that people first is the mandate around how to prepare and navigate the future effectively. And, and what I mean by that is we are never going to have all the answers. We're never going to have all the expertise. We're never possibly going to be able to keep up with how fast technology is changing, geopolitical events. And so what we have to really do is think about how we as humans navigate that complexity, navigate that uncertainty, and create, I think, the capability to operate effectively against a changing landscape and to do it in emotionally human and effective ways. So that's how I really think of people first and how enabling ourselves to be people first really makes us fit for the future. That's refreshing because I know Taneo focuses on coaching the C-suite, coaching executives on how they navigate the landscape of their businesses. So it's refreshing to hear you say that. You know, Stephanie, when I think about your business, it's a very, very different business. So what does leading people first mean for you and the people there at L'Oreal? Thank you. Well, what I love about what you said, Brian, is that it's it's not just people first in a big way. For us, it's it's part of our leadership culture. So we actually use people first leadership culture. You know, what is it? How are you defining it? And if you talk about it in the context of leadership culture, it's what do you want to cultivate? Like what type of places of work do we want to have? And if we have a people first leadership culture, it's a place that we can also drive the business forward. So, all right, we need to establish this culture. What does people first mean? For us, it's about, you know, somewhere where you can lead, where you can grow, where you can thrive, that you have this foundation underneath all of it, where you feel, you know, psychologically safe, um, where you feel engaged. So I think for me, like, trying to get down when people are talking about people first, I always say like, what do you mean by that? Like, tell me more. And specifically for L'Oreal, it's been the focus on leadership. I have so many paths I want to walk down. So you talked about, Stephanie, making sure people can thrive and this leadership culture. What we're seeing right now is like so many people in workplaces are trying to reimagine how they contribute to the success of their organization. And so that growth may mean that they take on non-traditional roles. When I think about you and your career, like, can you talk to people that are listening and they're wondering, hey, I may have started out in this part of the business, but I have strong affinities to join somewhere else in the business. What, what has your journey been like for you to get into the people space? Like, what does your career journey look like? So personally, you know, I've been very fortunate that I actually joined you know, the, the people organization, I joined HR at the end of last year, and I've only worked in our businesses. So the advantage that I have has been working across different parts of the business and also very closely with teams in operations or in R&I or folks that are in different parts of the business. So we have 
you know, our, our L'Oreal Dermatological Beauty that's working with closer proximity to physicians or in our professional hair care division where you're working closer with stylists. And it's with an appreciation to the people inherently in what they do. So I feel like for me, I've always had an appreciation for my HR partners and the way that you have to partner from a strategic sense, from a development sense, especially in a focus of learning and continuous growth. But there's this appreciation that you also get as you navigate, you know, bringing in different parts of your career. So more and more, we have to focus on development and skills. But even beyond that, how do you appreciate also how fast, to Brian's point, roles are changing and what their contribution is and what you can add value and learn from each other? We all have to be much more agile, not just in the challenges that we're taking on, but also the growth mindset to, you know, develop ourselves and those around us at the same time as driving for the business results. So your path to people, non-traditional, been in the business side, saw value in what was being unlocked by your people team, your HR team. And now you have an opportunity to lead that function, which I'm super excited about just because I know some of the plans you have for L'Oreal. So that's going to be exciting. Brian, one of the things Stephanie said is like, you talked about these different routes, that the paths may be different. When you think about like your trajectory to being chief people officer at, at Teneo, how have you found ways to create impact on your path there? And is there a different approach to people in HR that you're bringing or you're excited about that you may not have seen as you climbed up and across the organization? First off, I have a story somewhat adjacent to Stephanie's, not exactly the same. And I think we are on this sort of leading generation of people and HR leaders who really come from a mix of experiences, primarily that are P&L or business anchored, and we're bringing a radically different set of skills, perspectives, experiences, et cetera, to the table. I often call my path a staggering work of, I don't know whether it's accident or genius, but staggering no less. And when I went to college at Northeastern in Boston, I actually got a little bit in trouble in the HR course because I was like, I'll never need or use this. And well, look at me now. You know, I started as an intern or a co-op at IBM and I stayed for 10 years and nobody else was doing that. You know, what that gave me is this classic business rotation. And I worked in sales, marketing, professional services, corporate, and I had had all of this sort of like curation of that perspective, not to mention just the insight around how those businesses are run differently and why. I also had a, a, a corporate tour of duty inside of that. And that has really, really shaped me. And I think it's made me a breadth player. And from there, I've spent sort of the rest of my career about 50% changing, transforming, and growing companies as a leader on the inside, typically in the people or HR function, and the other half serving clients, owning a PL, leading teams, and really being that consultant and advisor as part of a professional services organization. And that toggle back and forth, I think, has done a lot to push me to stay contemporary. It's pushed me to be a lifelong learner of continuous skill building. And then also probably the thing I'm most grateful for is it's given me exposure to travel and do work in 60 countries 
I've been to Saudi Arabia nine times. Some really phenomenal collection of things that I think give me a point of view when I'm in the room, having to think about the role and the connection our people play and our people's strategy plays to delivering on our business outcomes and strategy. And then back to like what I think is different and what's happening again is I think there is this purposeful collision happening where we're moving away from this generation of HR professionals that are frankly anchored in transactional personnel run the function work into this generation of maybe really purposefully different skills and experiences that are working as agents of the business to really create the next generation version of a people function. No, I totally agree with a lot of what you're saying, particularly the perspective. And I think this might be the very first conversation I've had with leaders where all three of us, our trajectory to where we are, it came with large stints inside of the business. And so I think the perspective that we're able to offer is one that is one that's commercially focused, one that is mindful of not being transactional, but being relational and impact driven. So I I totally align with what you both have said there. Through that lens, though, right? Not everybody's Brian. Not everybody's Stephanie. So, Stephanie, my question for both of you, but I'll start with you, is like, what is your advice? There's someone listening right now, and they're like, listen, I want to create meaningful change like Stephanie and Brian. And maybe I haven't had an opportunity to be on the business side, but I believe that there's impact I can make for my company culture. There's ways that I can be very influential, but I don't know where to start. How would you tell them as a person who's now leading the people function, but has also been deeply ingrained in the business, how do you tell them to go about trying to build that buy-in so they can create the type of meaningful impact that they're hoping to make? So one of the things that I found super powerful in the past, I would say, year or so has been that while we talk about HR as a new way, you know, it's interesting because I I started my job and people have said like, oh yes, we're seeing this evolution in HR, that people are coming from the business and HR is having a moment. Yes, because we just went through three years where HR was super important in navigating one of the greatest shifts to the way we work, plus the powerful intersection of work and life. It was way beyond policy. You know, it was way beyond um, systems and structure and transactional tasks. So exactly to Brian's point, we've had this acceleration in the importance of HR. Concurrent to that, I very much believe that there's also been an acceleration in the role of the manager and how empowered people's managers have also become. So for us at L'Oreal, we've been thinking about it very much as you have the power of the of HR. What is HR's role in terms of expertise and also in, in business partnership? The role of the people manager and also the role of the employee. I think all of us, you know, it's it's kind of ebbed and flowed with who's exactly to your point, Donald, like, I want to do something. I don't know where to start. One of the first things to do is acknowledge your role within that, within that triangle, that empowered triangle. Okay. So what do I want to do as an employee? What should my role be as a people manager or as HR? How am I fueling the empowered approach to an employee or to the people manager? And sometimes that can be just fundamental a way to start. So that's one. The second thing that I think is, is powerful is there's this combination of the importance of fundamental inclusion. 
psychological safety we talked about, but then there's inclusion. And then you have innovation. If you're creating these spaces that allow those ideas to really happen. And the last part that's really important is now we have more access to data than ever. So, all right, let's take a structure where we determine the role of the employee, the people manager in HR. Let's think big by having this foundation of psychological safety, focus on inclusion, allow innovation. But then the last part, how are we utilizing data? And Brian actually brought this up when we were talking before, but in a consistent way that you create a frame that allows that movement to happen. And sometimes it might sound tactical, but I have found for myself, especially as I'm learning a new function and trying to bring in that perspective from my other experiences, that kind of creating that frame or creating that structured approach is very freeing and in fact allows the, the idea generation, the buy-in to culture to be cumulative instead of having to feel like you have to go out and be like, I want to make a culture change. So I, I, I hope that's helpful. But for me, it's, it's kind of all three things happening at the same time. Yeah, it's like a medley of things that must have to coexist in that recipe. So I, I like that. That's a great recipe for those that are listening. It's not easy either. <laughs> no, not by any stretch of the imagination. I guess, Brian, I'm going to go down this data path because Stephanie has teed this up. Same question, like, how do you go about building that buy-in? And particularly, I'm curious to hear from you, as a company that is advising some of our greatest leaders at some of the greatest brands and companies on the planet, how are you leveraging data and research to help drive some of that buy-in? A few things just to, I think, validate, Stephanie, some of the points that I, I so agree on. I mean, number one, and it straddles both questions about what, what advice and then how to do exactly what you're talking about, Donald, around advising, whether it's clients or our own businesses or, or being a great coach to our teams. The number one principle, and I really, I have to give the credit to Jackie Canny for this because when we worked together at Accenture and then I worked for her when she was the chief people officer of Walmart, she really instilled this in me. And it's the ability to become outcomes focused rather than activities focused or distracted. And I definitely think we're on this pathway to move from an activities orientation as a people function into an outcomes-focused orientation. And when we do that, I think it just makes our work way more powerful. And really adjacent, connected to that, is this focus on data. And what I tell emerging people, whether they want to be in HR or not, is get fluent in data. What that means isn't just the ability to see data in a spreadsheet. You really have got to think about being both a problem solver and a problem finder. How can you connect dots? How can you pattern match? How do you actually think through both the diagnosis and the measurement of the solution by being really analytical? And I think there is so much we can measure in a people function that we aren't yet measuring, really, that delivers on this concept of a talent dividend or the ROI of talent. And, and I think that's, that's really important. And one of the things that I think my experience has taught me is try to find a data lane in every problem or opportunity you're after or solving. And when you do that, you can really think through how to show the impact and effectiveness. Again, that outcomes orientation. So when I think about 
professional services. So whether it was, was when I was serving clients at Accenture, Aon Hewitt, or Mercer, or what I think about working with our people now, who I help create the conditions so that they can serve clients well, what I think about is this flywheel around bringing together the right capabilities, making sure the mix of those capabilities all work together. And what we take to clients is an irresistible, distinctive offering that creates a set of outcomes that make us irresistible. And when all those things start to work together, you really have the ability to put analytics, analysis, and real ROI around what those capabilities are and the skill piece, the inclusion and diversity piece around having the right chemistry and mix of those people, and then obviously around profitability and productivity, around delivering on your offering, E and and client NPS as a result of what you deliver for them, and then the stickiness and the retention you create around clients, products, services, et cetera. And so to me, I work in sort of that pattern of thought and that concept around that flywheel. And then it sort of is anchored around two things or three things must be true. Number one, leadership and inclusive leadership has to be right and it has to be invested in. Secondly, how we incentivize and reward people has to be aligned. And then finally, it kind of comes all together and stuff just has to work so that people can feel prepared and set up for success. And that's kind of like this model that we're thinking about in how we help people who serve clients go be wildly successful. Yeah. This idea that it's a flywheel, I think, really resonates, at least with me, because I I think about the people who have poured into me in my career. And what I have found is that I found a couple of things. The first thing I found is that I believe people teams are uniquely qualified to be the greatest accelerator of any business. Our teams are the ones that shepherd so many of the processes that touch literally every layer of the organization to include and starts with hiring. Like, who are we bringing on that are going to allow us to accelerate our product roadmap or accelerate the impact that we make from an ESG perspective or accelerate the kind of culture that we have in different locations? And I, I try to reverse engineer, like, where did this commercial mentality come from? I don't think it was just doing stints in the business, but I also think it's the business leaders that poured into me that I kind of like wanted to model what they were showing me as like great leadership. And so I'm curious for you, like, and I'll start with you, Brian, like when you think about mentors or leaders in the space that have inspired you along the way, that have helped cultivate or hone this mentality that you have that's rooted in impact, that's rooted in making sure that you present with data, that's rooted in making sure that you think about business decisions through a people-first lens. Like who comes to mind for you and like what is it that you learn specifically from them? You know, having a backdrop of, again, working in the business and across multiple sectors, there are so many leaders to mention who helped me learn both the basics and fundamentals and more advanced things. But two people come to mind and they're the last two leaders I worked with and for. I mentioned Jackie Canney who's now the chief people officer of ServiceNow. And we've worked together in a, in a few constructs. And, and what I've always appreciated 
And what I continue to learn and build and grow from is just her business acumen. And it's, again, that, that pivot from activities to outcomes orientation. And it's the hard-hitting, hard-charging, tough-minded business fundamentals that make you more credible as a people leader. And then, you know, another is a recent guest of yours who I, I really also enjoyed working with is Jennifer Remling. What I love about Jennifer is how she can take the complex and make it radically elegant and simple. And the partnership that I felt like she and I got to drive, the fun we had doing it, and I just really admire her style and approach, also really effective at building credibility. There are so many others too, but those two women in particular They've left an indelible mark on me and how I lead, and they've helped me understand more about who I am as a leader, where I have strengths and maybe gaps and weaknesses, how I stay fully aware of those so that I can be effective for others. Yeah. Two phenomenal human beings that you just named there, Jackie and Jennifer. And while I just started building proximity with Jackie, I mean, you know this, but I'm a huge fanboy of Jennifer Rimling and she knows it. She's a phenomenal <laughs> leader. Stephanie, same question for you. Like when you think about leaders that left a mark on you in your career, who would they be? And I think the unique thing I would ask you also, Stephanie, this is off the cuff. So, you know, I'm curious, is there an example of a leader that you've seen that has been in the business that has spent time on an HR or on a people team and potentially rotate it back into a business seat to create even more impact for the business? So I'll I'll start with your second question, which the fortunate thing that I have right now to experience is our current CEO. So the first American CEO of L'Oreal USA, David Greenberg, is actually also was the head of HR for L'Oreal. So he was in a similar position to me and then became part of one of our brands and then one of our divisions and then now has his role as the CEO. So it's been pretty amazing for us to be able to have kind of some of those discussions um, with some fundamental appreciation for the function and also how it's evolved since the time when he was in the role and now his role as CEO. So that's been very exciting. And I think at L'Oreal, we often and always have done the uh, movement between different positions and roles. And you could be in R&I, you could be in marketing, you could be in the global team, sales, which is pretty unique. So that's one piece. The second thing that I wanted to highlight is more of a recent example, which is actually, we, we talked about it a little bit, but Donald visited my HR leadership team also with, with Wagner Denuso, and I've been working very closely with Erica Kessman, all incredible leaders in the space. And what I love the most that we haven't talked about yet today, but I think is really important as I listen to both of you, is about communication. So a superpower that is not yet unlocked within human resources is we do so much. I truly believe when I came into the team, I was like, everyone said, oh my goodness, you're going to do so much for our policies. You have such a passion for you know the future of work. And I was like, no, 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 I'm just going to talk about it. I'm just going to make sure that it's relevant, that you know when we are sharing out new news with our total employee base. How do we make sure we're meeting them where they are and in fact, encouraging them to take it on for themselves? And that's, I think, 
kind of a unique approach that you have shared, obviously, Donald, with enthusiasm is the role of HR to be this engine that, in fact, is actually powering the rest of the organization to make real, impactful, people-first, leadership-driven change. And sometimes it's just about the conversation or the way it's framed. You know, one example recently is that we had a people manager town hall. And Brian and I talked about this a little bit, but it was really a kickoff meeting at the beginning of the year. We have four, we call them connects, four kind of checkpoints as you set up your goals. And then throughout the year, you're connecting with uh, your manager and different employees on your teams. And we could have said, this is the kickoff for the beginning of the annual process, et cetera. And instead it was, what's the outcome we want to have? People managers are having a moment. We want people to feel empowered in the way we go forward. We want HR to have a role in this conversation. And we want people to feel that it's important. So I feel like it's it's just a reverse sometimes engineering in order to get that outcome that often can be driven by insights from the business that are information-based or fact-based, or you know, you have the credibility because you've run the financial side of the business, but also in communication, you know, it sometimes it's just good marketing. But it's very authentic. And I, I feel like that's a kind of a unique perspective. And I've really appreciated also in our conversations together, too. It's warming my heart just to hear you all speak, because I feel, to, to Brian's point earlier, I do believe that our function and our roles are changing. And the reason I like hanging out with you both, we need to probably do this more as a group. But the reason why I like hanging out with you both separately is I just get so much oxygen talking to you both. Like it's refreshing to hear folks that are sitting at the helm of the people function, the HR function, and trying to create not only meaningful impact, but their, your, your consideration for how you communicate, Stephanie, is super important, right? Like how many times have HR teams come up with a phenomenal idea that can create amazing change, but then they communicate it in a poor way, and then it doesn't have the, the ripple effect that they thought it would have. So for me, this is a very refreshing conversation to be able to speak to both of you and, and know that your trajectories were very different from mine and in some, some cases very similar. So for those folks that are listening and you're trying to figure out how do you become the CHRO of L'Oreal or how do you become the, the CPO of Teneo Corporation, both phenomenal organizations that are creating amazing impact on this planet. The one thing I would tell you is there is not one path. All of us have our own unique path and Stephanie and Brian have been able to create amazing impact up to this point. It sounds like the future is super bright based on the plans that you have for your organizations and your leadership styles. And I would just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for prioritizing time for us to have this conversation. I know there's going to be so many listeners that want to reach out to you directly on LinkedIn. So if you do, they're both on LinkedIn, please hit them up. Their thought leadership is phenomenal. But I just want to say thank you for being a people-first leader. Like, we need this if we're going to modernize our function. And there's so many people that want to learn from leaders like you. They are tired of the traditional approach. So just thank you for what you're doing. And if I can ever be a bridge of, of encouragement or support, I hope you both know this, but I'm, I'm here for you both. You very thank much you. are. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brian and Stephanie, for joining me, as well as all of our amazing guests this season. And another big thanks to all of our listeners. This concludes the People First podcast for 2023, but there's much more to explore. I encourage you to listen to our other Greenhouse series in our channel, such as Talent Makers, where host Mika Gabreas 
sits down with inclusive hiring leaders who are creating DEI initiatives at their companies. As always, let's keep the conversation going. Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. And if you really like what you heard, give the show a follow and share it with a friend. We'd really appreciate it. Special thanks to our production partner, Wonder Media Network. Our producer is Brittany Martinez. Our supporting producer is Sarah Schleed. And our production assistant is Lila Watts. Our greenhouse producer is Marnie Williams. And remember, keep putting people first.